Uh, speaking of pronunciation, how often do people struggle with your first name, Elise Glink? Every single time they call me for the first time. What uh, what origin is I L Y C E? Uh, invented and drug induced. So. <laughs> My mother um, liked the name Elise, but needed an I name and uh, literally came up with I-L-Y-C-E in the hospital. So I don't know. Oh, really? Are there a bunch of I-named people in your family? There are. There's my great-grandmother, Ida. That's where the I came from. And my middle name is Renee. And that came from my great-grandmother, Rachel. I see. So you are a combination of that, huh? Mm -hmm. Elise. Have you ever said, thanks, Mom? Thanks, Mom. Although it's a it's a lovely name and it it's different, you maybe you embrace that. It's memorable. I've come to really appreciate it. And what's happened as a journalist is, of course, uh, when people see the name written out, I L Y C E, they realize it's me. So it, they never forget it. It's, what if it's, it's the other Elise Glink in town? No, there's only one Elise Glink. There's just one. There's actually only nine Elises spelled the way that I spell my first name in the country. At least the last time I looked, uh, there's a way that you can check that out. So there were like nine or ten. Elise is the owner of Think Glink, not Think Elise, Think Glink Media and Best Money Moves. She's the co-host of This Week in Wealth. On WGN Radio with Tom Fortino, she's on Sunday mornings at 7 a.m. and with us regularly on Mondays. Did you go to that uh, home show thing? I have lots of news for you about the home show, but the first thing I want to say is that you thought that the color of the year was going to be blanched moss or shrimp or something with thyme. You were very sort of focused around the greens and the pinks. Yes, I was. And the actual color is a color called Viva Magenta. Okay. Uh, see, this is the thing. I don't know what that is. Is that kind of a purplish color? It's uh, like a deep, wonderful maroonish Maroon, purple. Yeah, right. Uh, D, uh, what is it? What is kind of a magenta? Viva. Viva. Viva I don't magenta. know why. Mm. Okay. Is it really a uh, That strikes me as not a, a neutral color or a color that works with everything. You know what's funny is this little like purpley pink color. Everybody, every color every year, they're like, this is the new neutral. So I don't know how hot pink, hot purple, muted green. I, I don't know how that all becomes. I'm not enough of a designer, John, to tell you. But apparently this is the new color of the year. We're all supposed to be embracing this mm-hmm. color, which looks remarkably similar to the red they used a few years ago for the covid uh, virus, but you know what do I know? Oh, no kidding! So think of that little <laughs> image you saw in the news. That oh, hooray! Okay, Viva Magenta. Uh, what, Viva. So that's the color. What else did you learn? There are really interesting trends that popped up all over this year's Inspired Home Show. Um, one of them is, and this won't surprise you, because anybody who has a, a child over the age of five is very focused on food and food pictures, especially on Instagram. And so trend number one is upping our game in the kitchen and home. And there were all sorts of cool things that you could do or buy, or will be able to, because all this stuff is now coming into the marketplace. Appliances, gadgets, and all kinds of other products that help you do more with uh, your skills, your kitchen skills. Hmm. Okay, let's pause here and maybe give me some examples of what those things are. And that's not all you've got to talk about. Elise Glink's joining us now. So you were at the, um, 
what's the name of the uh, home show? That What do they call inspired, that now? It's called the Inspired Home Show. Yeah. And some of the things that we were talking about, you know, upping your game in the kitchen and home, that's one of the big trends. And the other one that is uh, kind of ties right into that is buffets and communal eating. And so what you're seeing with both of those things are... Um, examples are dish towels made from crushed water bottles. That's from a LaGrange-based company called Once Again Home. LaGrange, Illinois? Uh, mm-hmm. Wow. Keep going. I believe so. Yeah. Uh, and then you're also seeing on the buffet and communal eating that we're now using uh, charcuterie boards, right? Those big flat wooden boards. You can put some cheese on it and some all kinds of other stuff. We're now seeing them used for things like butter. Like it, there's just a craze over using all kinds of herbed laced butters for everything and so you put that out with um, a lot of different kinds of flavorings in them along with different kinds of breads and this passes for what would probably be my favorite kind of a dinner (laughs) carb central yeah really but you use these boards also for desserts now and so you'll see lots of different kinds of platters coming out that are and you'll hear more about how charcuterie boards are really for dessert boards or butter boards um which is really really interesting and the way that you lay your table also uh there's lots of different kinds of new paper goods or things that can be automatically recycled but have a more permanent feeling to them which is which is kind of interesting so instead of using your china it's paper but it's upgraded paper so do you throw that away then after you use it? Or recycle it, Or recycle which is nice. it, yeah. Um, yeah wow. Uh, uh, did it look good? Was it functional? Did it, was it, do you beautiful. have a feel for it? Yeah. Oh, it's absolutely beautiful. Um, you've seen, you've probably seen some of these at the stores where you might have like really thin bamboo. It's paper plates, but they're made out of bamboo actually. Very, very thin, flexible, but yet strong. And they look beautiful on a table. And so what we're seeing is this kind of, uh, you know, back to nature comes to your table, but ease of cleaning as well. Nobody wants to spend time cleaning. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of that was was really interesting. Another trend we're seeing is the wellness trend. Um, this was promoted as tea time is the new happy hour. Now, I don't know what you're putting in your tea, but <laughs> you know, it's uh, tea is certainly a big deal now. And I don't actually even mean the way we think about it, English tea, like you might see at the Four Seasons or the Drake in town, um, but lots of new kinds of, of tea, uh, and not even tea like from China. A few years ago, they had these wonderful uh, jasmine blossom tea bags. They're not, they weren't really tea bags, but you put them into a a clear pot of boiling water and you had these beautiful flowers just kind of open up that were actual tea. So you're seeing more of that and more of elegant tea sets for people to think about their new tea time. You know, um, I think it was the uh, welcome the, the Fablemans, the Steven Spielberg movie. Mm-hmm. And um, was that the movie where they would eat uh, and then they would, uh, but they ate with paper. Yes, plastic. Michelle Williams. Yeah. And then when they got done with dinner, they just kind of grabbed the corners of the tablecloth and just picked everything up and threw it out one fell swoop. That's right. And the the dishes were done. That's right. The grandmother was like, I just don't understand. What are you saving all your china and dishes for? Yeah, no kidding. I don't know if that really was his family's tradition, but I've never seen such a thing. Although 
I guess in a way we all do that. We take the paper lunch and we put them in the garbage, and then we throw the garbage out. They just swooped it up in the tablecloth, and out the door it went. Um, so happy hour is now tea time. So, right, uh, wellness hour, wellness hour, wellness hour. Mm. Um, one of the was there an Oprah's favorite thing um, on the uh, at the show? Yeah, there actually was. Um, this is called Finamil, Finamil.com. And these are really sort of interesting pods that you chain, you change out. So, um, you know, you've got like salt grinder, pepper grinders, you can get those at Costco, you can get them everywhere. Well, now you can actually have pods of your favorite dried spices. And then those just connect directly into this grinder. And so you can change it out as you're seasoning your meat or your salads or whatever it is you're trying to season. I actually thought this was a really cool thing. Oprah, of course, liked it. um, And it's done really well. And there's a great video on their website, uh, F-I-N-A-M-I-L-L.com. And you can actually see how it works if it's a little hard to imagine. Is there a, um, what's the air popper? What's the bread maker? What's the gadget this year? (laughs) Well, there's a lot of different gadgets that we saw, um, you know, and that have been popped up. I mean, these mini tiny refrigerators for your cosmetics were sort of interesting. That goes into another trend of happy couple, separate bedroom, separate bathroom. Like we lived, we lived together, but we don't do anything else together. (laughs) I've seen articles about that. Couples that are sleeping in different bedrooms. Yeah. And you know what? People snore. You need a good night's sleep. I totally get it. Uh, But do you need a mini cosmetic fridge? Do you need to heat a mini pizza in your mini dash toaster oven that you have to keep right by your bed. I, I don't know about eating in bed, John. I, I'm Wait, not there's big a, on crumbs. a pizza toaster, a bedside pizza toaster. <laughs> Dude, you need to get up. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's crazy. I, yeah, I just felt like I don't need to have a mini kitchen in my bedroom. It's just too messy. But maybe in your she shed or in your man cave, uh, a fr- uh, you know, a lot of people put a fridge there for their beverages. So I guess this would be the addition to that. Yeah. Um, what else? Uh, were tiny homes part of the show this year? They were. You know, tiny homes have really grown. And I think as we see, you know, interest rates continue to rise. And we're now like hitting 7% plus on interest rates. And we just heard from the Fed this week, actually today, Friday and today, they reiterated it, that interest rates are going to continue to go up because inflation isn't going down as fast as they would like. So if you can't buy a bigger home because interest rates are now, you know, seven and a half, eight percent or whatever they are, uh, you're going to buy a smaller home. And so tiny homes have become this thing. We've seen it on HGTV, but it's a significant trend. Houses in general are getting smaller. There's a lot of different kinds of options that we saw. Um, I saw promoted from the homeware, um, sorry, not the homeware show. That's combining six different shows all in one. Uh, the International Home Builders Association, uh, they were showing literally like homes that come out of a box. The, the box gets delivered and then they open it up and it's, you know, pretty much your home is built inside, but they're smaller homes and smaller spaces. So a lot of the different kinds of um, things that we saw from dishwashers to cappuccino makers, all of it are kind of smaller sized and, and they're being sized down. It feels very European to me mm-hmm. because of the way mm-hmm. that Europe has kind of three quarter or half size refrigerators, we're seeing that come to the U.S. Because some of those tiny homes are 
400 square feet, right? They are. And and the one that we that came out of the Home Builders show, um, that one is a bit bigger. It's probably about 800 to 1,000 square feet. You're not going to tow it around on your, you know, the back of your car like you would with a tiny home. Uh, but it may be an answer as people are finding regular homes less affordable. You're also seeing more with accessory dwelling units, ADUs. And I think, uh, again, those are smaller. Uh, many, many communities, like the entire state of California, <laughs> is allowing people to just put them up in the backyard. Uh, and then grandparents can live there or the kids live there in the backyard of their parents' place. Uh, but again, those are smaller and they need smaller models of everything uh, from appliances on up. Probably need zoning for those, too. Well, they, it's interesting. The states that are passing ADU laws are, have actually passed them on a statewide basis for zoning as opposed to um, localized. And we're starting to see that here in the Illinois area and uh, in Illinois, the state of Illinois, but in the Chicago metropolitan area as well. Here it's more community-based, but I think you're going to see a push as housing becomes less and less affordable and people want to live yeah. um, in smaller spaces. Oh, we're out of time, but I want to make sure I got this right. ADU accessory dwelling unit? Yeah. yeah and that would new... be, or you could throw it up in the backyard and the, the, the kid from college or grandma lives there or whatever. Exactly. Or you live there and they're in the 3,000 square foot home that you slaved for years to build for yourself. Okay. Uh, interesting. Uh, Elise Glink, you can uh, hear her with Tom Fortino. Sunday morning at 7 a.m., thinklink.com is the website. Thank you, Elise. You're welcome, John. We learned a lot from her today. From American Inno, Jim Dalkey is the national editor there. The website is chicagoinno.com where you read his stuff. And this is uh, as much as you've talked to us about technology and about funding for different businesses. I don't know that we've talked about end-of-life planning. Jim, what's the story here? Hey, John. Yeah, so, you know, the, the end-of-life planning is a really interesting sort of emerging startup space, and it's um, not a surprising one given that, um, you know, as startup founders start to get a little older themselves and start to see, you know, their, their parents go through these instances, right? They see the, the, the need for this and sort of the kind of the brokenness of the industry overall. So, yeah, there's a, a new Chicago startup called Digital Will in town. This is what they say, an all-in-one death tech solution. So I know that sounds kind of morbid, but if anybody's sort of been through this process, you know how difficult sort of end-of-life planning can be, and you're often kind of scrambling after the fact to get everything in line, and there's so much to handle. And so what Digital Will aims to do is really kind of provide this online place for uh, funeral planning. So, you know, everything from, you know, helping with uh, final wishes to uh, determining, uh, you know, some of those funeral details to even kind of personal messages and obituaries and wills uh, themselves. So, well, you know, lots of uh, this industry is offline. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's 21st century digital as we've gotten. You know, the death tech space is, is still a very a much a kind of nascent industry. And so what Digital Will is looking to do is kind of really kind of create this online place to take all of the kind of end-of-life planning and put it online. And what I kind of like about this business, actually, is it was uh, built by a founder who started a, 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 another sort of death tech Space industry um, called Circle It, and it was a, a way to sort of send messages and gifts to your family beyond the grave, quote unquote. So the idea was that you know, as you're pre preparing for your end of life 
um, arrangements. You could actually set up uh, gifts to send to your family even after you've passed. So you could send, you know, flowers to your uh, your your widow um, on your anniversary even after you're gone. And so Circlet sort of helped kind of facilitate uh, those gift giving experiences. So um, it's a founder who's obviously very plugged into this space and really sees an opportunity now to kind of go all into digital will, which is really about kind of creating this online platform for end of life planning. Uh, the um, online platform for end of life planning sounds like a good idea. I'm not sure I'm ready to get gifts, maybe a Starbucks card from somebody who's passed away a year ago. That that's kind of weird to me. But uh, far be it for me to judge, huh? Well, and I think that's what you're probably seeing, right, is a little bit of this shift now to the kind of the new business with digital will. So, yeah, a little bit more uh, sort of sort of easy to understand and. And hey, you know, everybody's kind of going through this, right? You've got, you know, aging parents, aging grandparents, and um, it's, it's, it's challenging to organize all of this, um, especially, um, you know, as, as folks pass on who were not digitally native. They you know they weren't necessarily putting lots of plans online and kind of creating this sort of online experience. And so that's what this digital will looks to do. So Circle, it was the first one, but this new one is called what again? Digital Will. Digital will. And one last question about that. Um, Do you know, does it pass legal scrutiny? I've been told by attorneys that just because you wrote on a piece of paper on a website, uh, I I want this to happen when I die. That doesn't mean the courts will recognize that. Do you know much about that? That's a great question. I don't, but that's absolutely something that this company will have to tackle, right? Um, And that's essential to, to their growth is making sure that, you know, the, the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted and make certainly, you know, a, a legal uh, platform here. So, yeah, that'll be a big piece for them as they continue to grow. Is that is that up and running right now? Is that something people are currently using? Yeah, so it's up and running, um, and they say they, they expect to see some, some real growth here, um, hoping to reach a quarter million users by the end of the year. Bitwise looks to the south side to build... Chicago's tech workforce. Uh, that sounds encouraging. What's the story here? Yeah, this company Bitwise, this is a, a California business. Um, you know, really what they're looking to do is to train tech workers in underserved communities. And so this company just raised $80 million. Um, Goldman Sachs was a part of the funding for them, Citibank. Um, so they've got a big chunk of change here to continue to expand. Uh, and they really are doubling down in Chicago. So um, they're going to establish a 6,000-square-foot uh, Southside um, uh, space here in Chicago where they'll serve as a temporary home for the company before they finalize their permanent space. But, you know, really the idea is to kind of continue to give resources to underserved folks in Chicago and get them a, a part of the growing tech force. And so definitely the fact that they chose Chicago, I think, speaks right to the growing um, tech momentum we're seeing here in Chicago. And, and certainly there's been, you know, a, a, a lot of folks kind of clamoring for, hey, how can we bring, you know, the tech activity that we're seeing downtown on the north side uh, in the West Loop? How do we bring that to other areas of Chicago and get more folks plugged into this industry that's, um, you know, really growing and, and paying great salaries and is needed in the city. And so, yeah, they're going to uh, work to kind of provide these paid apprenticeships to students to help learn different skills within the tech industry and um, kind of continue to kind of diversify the tech space in Chicago. So, yeah, really interested to see kind of how Bitwise looks to grow here in Chicago. But, hey, I do think it's a testament to what we're seeing here and the opportunity for uh, continued tech growth in Chicago. Mm. They don't make anything per se. They train people to go into those industries. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, as you can imagine, 
Um, you know, there's lots of training involved in this. And, you know, it's, you know, if you're, if you're not coming to it from a, a tech background, there's a lot to kind of get up to speed with and, and learn. And so uh, that's what Bitwise is really going to do is kind of plug in to those areas of Chicago where, um, you know, historically we haven't done a great job of getting them the resources to join the, the, the tech workforce. So, yeah, curious to see kind of how Bitwise looks to double down on Chicago. Alex Zorn wrote a story about another way to use AI. What's this about? Yeah, this is a company called Cardio Diagnostics. And, you know, John, we've been talking a lot about tech and biotech, especially with the Chan Zuckerberg biohub that's here in Chicago now. And, you know, you think about, um, you know, the tech piece of biotech, right? And that's exactly what Cardio Diagnostics is doing. And so they're working on a new product that really combines artificial intelligence um, within a blood test to help detect coronary heart disease. So through their AI, it can analyze a, a patient's biomarkers, looking for risk factors and other indicators that a person could have a heart attack in the near future and sort of really identify folks who um, are at risk for having a heart attack within the next three years. And so what they've created here is a simple at-home or in the provider setting um, blood test. You know, no extreme exercise stress tests needed here. This is just a simple blood test to identify folks who are at risk for, for having a, a heart attack. Of course, heart disease, the number one killer in the U.S. And so mm-hmm. they think they're really onto something here with their, their new uh, diagnostic test. Yeah, there's some interesting numbers in both your last stories. Um, 80% of cardiovascular events like heart attacks can be prevented, they say. And 70% of us don't have a will. So um, let's um, continue to follow these companies and wish them well. It's good to talk to you as always, Jim Dalkey. Thanks for the heads up on all that. Thanks, John. American Inno, ChicagoInno.com. On the Wintrust Business Lunch, more business news with Steve Grzanich. Start your timer. It's time for the Wintrust Business Minute during Chicago's business news of the day. A tentative contract between Caterpillar and the United Auto Workers Union will stop the company from closing plants. The deal also includes pay raises and bonuses for thousands of workers. The labor contract covers six years and puts a moratorium on plant closings by Caterpillar, which had been moving some production away from unionized Midwest plants. It previously closed a plant in Aurora and moved production from facilities in Joliet and Chicago. Caterpillar currently builds mining dump trucks in Decatur and bulldozers in East Peoria. It's here, Garrett Popcorn's newest flavor, Frango Chocolate Mint Caramel Crisp Mix. The company's rolling out the new popcorn for St. Patrick's Day, and sales will begin on March the 10th. The new mix will be sold online and at Garrett Shops at 625 North Michigan and at Woodfield Shopping Center in Schaumburg. The popcorn is tossed in both milk and white chocolate and blended with Frango Mint Oil. Those chocolate kernels are mixed with Garrett's Caramel Crisp. Frango Chocolate Mint Caramel Crisp Mix will be available at Garrett through mid-May. I'm Steve Grzanich, and that's your Wintrust Business Minute. Okay, we talked about it earlier. It's time for the business of food and Steve Alexander. Uh, thank you, and welcome to Minimal Monday. And we're sponsored by the Chevy Silverado HD. Experience your life in HD. Visit ChevyDriveChicago.com. Okay, Minimal Monday. And that's what one of our Wintrust Business Lunch contributors calls the paucity of workers coming back to downtown Chicago on Mondays, bookended by Forget About It Fridays. Here's somebody who knows what he's talking about. Oh, yeah, we, we are just like everyone else who's operating in the central business district of the Loop of Chicago. That's Jeff Drake, the CEO and president of Protein Bar and Kitchen. We have returned to really 2019 sales on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. Um, Mondays and Fridays continue to be 
depressed, but we, we are showing great progress versus even last year. And there's a lot going on with PBK, including its first airport location at Terminal 5 in O'Hare. We're very excited. Which we'll talk about in a minute, but as downtown workers are still not all the way back and may not come back all the way. And that's why we think it's a great opportunity for us to start taking the brand to the suburbs or people can find us closer to their home, if you will. And so we'll, we'll be opening in Northbrook at the end of March. Protein Bar is one of Chicago's very own. It began in the loop. Across the street, at the time it was Sears Tower in 2009, now it's Willis Tower. And the whole premise was you come in, you grab a, a protein shake, and you'd be on your way. Matt Matros started Protein Bar and quickly realized that to make a go of it, he would need to add food to the menu. And the base of the lunch menu was quinoa. And when Matt introduced quinoa, in 2010, people literally didn't know what it was, let alone how to say it. Kiana. Nope. Koinola. No. Joaquin. No. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Rick. Matt Matros moved on to other things. He's still a shareholder, and the new owners of Protein Bar added a K. We made the decision to add and kitchen to our name to better convey the culinary experience you can get at the restaurants in addition to the, the terrific and delicious shakes. Which travelers at O'Hare will soon be able to get. We believe that Protein Bar should be in airports all over the country, and the first one's going to be in our hometown of Chicago, so we're very excited about that. Yeah, and a grab-and-go kiosk is opening soon at Terminal 5 with a full restaurant opening later this year. From the farm to your belly, oh my, today is National Oreo Day. I like to dunk a mine in milk. That's the business of food on 720 WGN. Earlier in the show, we were using an AI application to sample voice of somebody and then type in words that that voice will now say in the name, if you will, of that other person, even though that other person never said such a thing. Joe Biden was a victim of that quite recently, as well as Paul Vallis, who's running for mayor. Well, here is what Adam Rogers wrote in Business Insider, a few days after Google and Microsoft announced that they'd been delivering search results generated by chatbots, artificially intelligent software capable of producing uncannily human-sounding prose, I fretted that our new AI helpers are not to be trusted. After all, Google's own AI researchers had warned the company that chatbots would be likely to squawk things that are wrong, stupid, or offensive and prone to hallucinating, liable to just make stuff up. The bots, drawing on what are known as large language models, are, quote, trained to predict the likelihood of utterances. Yet whether or not a sentence is likely does not reliably indicate whether the sentence is correct. And then he goes on to talk about how chatbots are BS engines built to say anything with in incontrovertible certainty and a complete lack of expertise. <laughs> well, then shame on us, Adam, if we're going to these things for knowledge or expertise, right? Well, that's the thing that freaks me out. Candidly, I, you know, I, I have written about search for a long time, search on the internet. I think all of us in some ways rely on Google, like it's a verb, you know, we Google stuff. There are other search engines out there too. Microsoft has one called Bing that's also using a large language model-based chatbot or plans to use it. Search is supposed to be ideally true. Am I naive? Am I being naive? It's supposed to be true. It's supposed to be true stuff. Or you're supposed to at least have the tools to find the true stuff. And, and the concern here shared by researchers, not just reporters like me who speak 
with incontrovertible certainty, even when we're not experts, of course, <laughs> um, <laughs> are, are uh, you know, are, 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 I think, rightly concerned that if you if you present this stuff as if true, as if a, as if a person said it, as if a person is speaking using first person, that it becomes it seems truer than then people know that it is coming from an LLM chatbot because they're just not that good at telling the truth. Well, what's their express purpose? Is it one of the first things we did with them was say, write a poem about the radio station. Well, that's essentially a fiction. It's a poem. It's it's something that they just dreamed up, if you will, as opposed to give me the history of World War II. Uh, what is the purpose of these chatbots? Well, <clears throat> there's some there's some good research that says that that um, it's a way of of um, of a, it's a different experience as an interface, a, a different user experience. So you you can imagine, I can imagine um, having a conversational search interface because the way that we search with the internet is very different than what what we might have done if you're an old person like me who might have gone to the library to ask a reference librarian to use a database like Nexus, let's say, or something. But where you were, you're, you're using very prescribed um, kind of language to do the search. It's, it's hard to do. It was expensive, both computationally and in terms of money. But if you, it would be great to be able to just sort of look at your computer and say or type, hey, can you show me all of the clothes, all of the, all of the sweaters that any department store has um, that, that are, you know, that are red? And then look at those. Like, no, I only want to see the men's sweaters. And then say, no, okay, I only want to see the ones that are available to me right now if I drive to the store 15 minutes away from me. And then say, okay, actually, I don't want any of those. I just want to see the blue ones. You know, to have that kind of, like, relationship, I'm putting mm-hmm. that in air quotes, mm-hmm. with a search engine. Or even to say, hey, can you just give me a quick rundown of all of the emails that I've ever gotten from my boss? Can you just look at them and tell me what he ever said about time off? You know, or something like that. Like, there's a good there. That I can imagine that being very useful. And these things can actually go into a huge amount of text or information. The, the term of art there is a corpus or corpora, like a body of text or information, and go in and look for patterns and, and try to figure out what it means. I can see that usefulness, and I can see also the usefulness. One way that reporters, that writers, are very bad at criticizing this whole world is that for somebody like me, I like doing research and I like writing about what I find. That's my thing. You know, that's like what my value is <laughs> to the extent that I have one. But not everybody wants that. You know, not everybody wants to spend a lot of time digging around in page seven or eight of Google results to try to figure out what's right and what's true. And that's why people do things like they'll use uh, TikTok, the social network TikTok, as a search engine. Or they'll use Reddit as a search that specify only look on Reddit because there are other human beings who can tell them things yeah. about what they want to know. And, and so there's something useful about a human or a human-like thing, something that sounds human, that's evincing humanity, though it doesn't have any, of course, um, to tell us stuff. I think that's the usefulness here. But you, the headline of your story is, Chatbot is a robot con artist and we're suckers for trusting it. I see why, but are you optimistic that it will become more reliable or is this just the way it's going to be? I'm I'm not optimistic, but uh, the, the computer scientists are. So what the what computer scientists, what the people at Google and Microsoft will say is like, look, we're gonna we can improve these things so that they won't hallucinate, which is the computer scientist's own term for making stuff up in this yeah. case, and that they won't just and they won't say things that are all biased because of what's in the database, and we can figure that out. And and they say they can, and I have no reason not to take them at their word. My my concern is that that's not what we sh- use internet search for research for and it's not what we should be using research for part of the point of research is citations to other connections is telling people what connections we made intellectually it's not just facts 
So even though they're getting the facts wrong, and I'm not sure that there's any way to keep them from getting facts wrong just because that's how they work. They don't look for facts. They just look for patterns. But I also, I'm also not confident that that's how we're supposed to be. That's how that that's not that's not an ethical way of looking for information. And that this is this is what's on us. That we need to actually have more of a relationship with the kind of searches we're doing than letting something that's pretending to have a human face tell us what the answer is. We should have you on more and more often. This is really an interesting, and I think it feels like right now anyway an accurate take. I'm I, whenever I do talk about this or think about this though, I am kind of blown away that it's a sentence predictor. It says, based on the last words, this is the next most likely word that makes sense. Wow. Just think about it. It's an astonishing technology. I mean, it's not not smart. It's just predicting what the next sentence should be. And then, lo and behold, it reads like prose, even if it's eighth-grade prose. It reads like prose. I'll, I'll tell you, for me, what the what's what's fascinating about this is what, and I, I've read some people writing about it who said this. That there's some lessons here for talking about computational linguistics, about study using computers and using digital technology to study language and linguistics and how it works. I think that's really true. There, 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 there may be some insights buried in what these machines can, what this software can do for how, how language works, and maybe even how language works in, in humans and, and in other, in other mm-hmm. critters that use versions of language. I think that might be the case. And I think there is something astonishing about what it can actually produce, especially if you're not worried about whether it's true, especially when you're not trying to use it to get instructions <laughs> for changing your, if you're trying to use it for cha- you know, changing your oil or figuring out what the directions to a place are or understanding what the causes of World War II were. If you're, yeah. you're not trying to do any of that stuff, you know, if you're, if you're trying to, to play and maybe use it as a, I'm not sure about this thing about using it as a creative partner, but some I, I, I have some, some well, writers. You definitely don't want your surgeon it. using it, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> that's right. I am out of time, but it's been a pleasure to have you on, Adam, and I hope you can join us again. Happy to do it. Happy to do it. Thank you.